parents told him he'd never get anywhere playing video games for a living. Now he's here. It's Behind the Line Radio with your host, Kinetic. And it starts now. Hello everyone and welcome to Behind the Line Radio. And just within this week, we finally got the announcement from Nintendo unveiling what had been called the NX... Uh, and is now known as the Switch, their new console. We had a lot of speculation coming up uh, for the past, I don't know, year or two at this point about what exactly is it. I've I've put forward my own theories, but now we know. It's this uh, sort of console, portable, tablet, hybrid thing. So, joining me today to discuss this, uh, bringing back Dave. How are you doing today? I am fantastic. How are you doing? I'm okay. Well, why don't we start with this? Do you have, uh, uh, Dave? What's your what's your hot take on this? What's your what's your first reaction from from seeing the switch? Um, honestly, I'm a little bit excited. Um, I personally won't be buying the console, but I like what it is and what it does. Um, the biggest impression that it made on me was the. Uh, idea of getting together with your friends and playing games on it, like all together in kind of like a seamless LAN party, I guess. Mm. Um, I also like, I just, I'm just excited for Nintendo to get to the next level in terms of their console game because mm. the Wii U just was not anything that anybody wanted. So yeah. I, I still don't know if this is going to break through like kind of the Nintendo hardcore boundaries and get it into mainstream uh, households, but still, at least we'll be able to see another round of uh, Nintendo games. Zelda, of course, being the biggest of the the bunch that I saw. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I think I think there's a few things in your observations that we can unpack, but I'll go with my initial thinking: is that this almost looks like it is what the Wii U was supposed to be, in a sense, mm-hmm. at least in in the hardware sense, where you have the double screen, you have the ability to, to take it with you somewhere else, um, and the, the, you know, tablet controller hybrid thing. That was kind of the, the first thing that struck me. Um, on the business side, I suppose, I think um, I, I read up on a lot of reactions from this. From the reveal, and one of the things that struck me the most was the observation how the Wii U was trying and failed to kind of incorporate mobile mechanics or aesthetics, you know, tablet gameplay into a console experience. Yeah, and it never really meshed. I I, I think in the Wii U's case, there is room where it could have worked, but. I don't know if it was a case of um, where Nintendo's priorities were, or I also kind of suspect that uh, Satoru Iwata's health may have uh, led to a certain lack of leadership of vision with the Wii U. Um, and I'm just, that is just a random guess for me. I'm not basing that on much of anything. Hmm. But uh, the Wii U kind of tried to strike there, tried to split the difference, and really didn't do well. Uh, and so it was, you know, at the same time trying to hold on to its broad base audience appeal of the Wii. The Switch, on the other hand, 
some people have noted that you know it looks like whereas the Wii was the the original ads were saying here's kids playing here's adults playing here's uh, blue collar people playing here's elderly people playing it's it's about everybody the switch on the other hand was a lot more about the hardware itself and a lot more sort of uh young adults you know not not like kids or anything but you know you're 20 30 somethings kind of on the go a lot it's it's it presents it as uh console hardware on the go and I'm not sure they're really shooting for the same kind of broad base audience that the Wii shot for. And I think that makes sense because when the Wii came out, it really was a blue ocean disruptive kind of approach. But that's not blue anymore with, with the advent of mobile. That, that is, that is a red ocean. There is blood in the water and there's a lot of people coming from, for those users. So they need to take a different approach. Um, what do you yeah, think? De- yeah, definitely. Um, the mobile market is, of course, what is going to define whether or not this is successful or not. Um, as as powerful as mobile phones are, it's it's really a cool feature to be able to take your experience that you're having on the couch with a big, you know, big TV and high fidelity graphics. And to take that on the go, I think that that is a, an interesting point that um, that it's going to push. And I'm also interested to see what their strategy is. I, I'm assuming that their strategy at this point is okay. Well, the Game Boy is now gone, and mm-hmm. you're just going to have this one thing that you're going to be using all the time, right? Like all of any big company has this moment where they're just like, we're going to take all of our stuff and try and jam it into one thing. Right. Like Microsoft was the whole windows 10 was supposed to, or windows eight was supposed to be that. And it didn't really work out with the windows phone and and Xbox and your PC. Right. Like, I feel like they, obviously they, they couldn't put it all together, but um, for Nintendo to just say, Hey, this is the thing, right? Like we, you only need the one console now and, it's going to have all our stuff on it. You can take it on the go or you can, you know, have it a big screen experience as well. That's going to be big, but you know, they're also not ignoring the mobile market saying, Hey, Apple, let's team up and I'll actually end up, we'll actually end up putting a Mario run on, on iPhone and we'll see what happens with more, um, Nintendo franchises on mobile phones in the future as well. Cause, uh, it's smart to be doing that at the very least because the mobile market just can't be ignored. Um, right. So it's gonna, you know, it's gonna be interesting to see kind of which which system ends up working out best for people because as much as mobile phones are fantastic for for gaming and providing a lot of interesting experiences from virtual to just you know whatever tap game you're playing. It's still not a gaming console, and it never will be a gaming console first. And I think that that is something that's going to be um, that Nintendo's playing on. Like, hey, you can have mobile games, sure, but Zelda is going to be on this thing, and it's also going to have the unique thing of, hey, let's all get together and chain our stuff together and and chain all our machines together and play Zelda in one spot together. Yeah. Um, which I always had hoped mobile would do, but never really did successfully. Yeah, the, uh, you talking about that actually made me think of something where um, 
again, kind of going to, 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 to the blue ocean, red ocean thing, you know, you can't exactly look at your wide market, your, your general appeal audience, your, your wide base audience as the blue water anymore because of the ubiquity of mobile cell, you know, cell phone hardware. Um, and the sort of hardcore players, you know, your, your, your more hardcore or core console players, uh, one of the issues there is that, um, and this, this goes off a point that I, I saw someone else making as well is that that hardware is powerful, but it, it's also kind of big and slow. It's not something like on mobile where you can just hit a button and it loads and you're in inside 20, 30 seconds. You gotta wait for the console to boot up. You gotta load the game. You gotta wait for the assets to load. You gotta wait for the menu, get through the menus and then get into the game. And that can, depending on which game, you know, can take a few minutes. So getting into a, a game on a, a current gen console can be depending on your scope of things, a little bit of an investment. It's not something you can quickly get into and out of in between things. Um, and that's one of the great appeals of mobile stuff. Uh, the Switch, on the other hand, kind of seems to be trying to split the difference in a way, where they're not trying to make the hardware so ubiquitous, because you can't, you can't beat a cell phone for the ubiquity of the hardware. What they can do, though is make the console experience more accessible. And I think that may be the key element in it. Like I said, it, it showed, the reveal trailer showed a lot of, you know, young professional age people. And if they want to have a console gaming experience, uh, are they going to be taking it on a plane on a business trip? You know, you can, it, that's a pretty significant size and weight and time commitment if you're going to pack up like a ps4 or an xbox one yeah um <laughs> i actually had a, a a carrying thing that for my original xbox uh oh my goodness i, <laughs> I never used it once i don't think but i don't remember i think i won it at work <laughs> yeah the original xbox one was a beast too so yeah it was pretty heavy yeah um so yeah, I, I, I think that's going to be one of the keys there is, you know, the Switch says, look, you want to have a console experience, you want it to be quick and accessible, you want to be able to take it with you places so you're not necessarily rooted to the TV, but you want to be able to have the high fidelity experience of the TV. Well, right. this will do it all for you. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, so one of the things that uh, uh, one of my designer friends always um, talks about is the idea that, and I think I may have mentioned this before, but the idea that um, it's kind of a form follows function type uh, experience. Your experience is kind of based on the location um, where where you are at your moment, right? So the idea is the experience that I have when I'm playing a game on the couch is different than the the experience of playing a game on in my office or in bed, you know, or if I'm uh, in line at, uh, you know, the grocery store, all of those experiences demand a different mindset and that different mindset demands a different platform with a different game. So my, like you were talking about the console experience, it's an investment. When I go to play a console game, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to play for an hour. I'm going to play for maybe a little longer, you know? Um, same thing with the office experience usually, right? Like 
I, which, and I mean home office, like I basically equating it to PC. I'm going to sit down, you know, I'm going to spend time, um, not only waiting for it to load, but I'm also going to, uh, the, I'm the type of person that will, I want to have a lot of control over my game and change the settings up and I'm into the latest set, you know, settings. And again, I'm going to probably spend a long period of time actually playing the game. Mobile, I'm, you know, on the couch, but I'm watching TV. I kind of equate it to the in-bed experience, like, you know, 15 minutes before I go to bed, right? Like, I'm going to sit down and tap this, tap this stuff in a little bit, collect some stuff. Uh, and then once I'm kind of expired my game session, oh, I'm just going to go to sleep, you know? Yeah. So it's like Nintendo is very squarely, uh, taking the couch experience, like you said, and just turning it into something that you can take on the go, which is, which is cool. Cause you know, it, it's dangerous, but cool. Um, what, what I really hope for the experience is that they don't rest on their laurels on the couch experience, because Mm -hmm. that is going to be the bread and butter. Because if they don't have a console that is successful in the high fidelity market where you have those core gamers, then that you won't have success overall in any of the split markets as well. So the good news is, Seeing that list of developers that they had and yeah. uh, out, out the gate saying, Hey, we got Skyrim. What's up? Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's a, that's a big gauntlet to throw down. Um, yeah. and Skyrim's a little bit of an older game now, but just to be able to say, Hey, we're going to support games like this mm-hmm. means that anybody who may have gotten pushed out of the Nintendo world when other games that were bigger and better couldn't run on their console. Now they have the opportunity to dive back in and say, oh, great. Now, oh, I can play Mario. I can play Zelda and, and I can play Skyrim. Maybe this is the console for me. Mm-hmm. And I, you mentioned uh, being able to translate the uh, or, or kind of bridge, I suppose, the the uh, sofa and the, I don't know, going to bed experience. And I actually think one critical thing with that and Nintendo hasn't released a whole lot of details and uh, uh so we'll just have to follow along and see if this pans out. But I think one of the most significant things to being able to transfer stuff like that is can you pick it up and go really quickly? Yeah. And I think one way that they can do that is if you can just like put it to sleep and put it down at any time, similar to just like putting an iPhone to sleep in the middle of a game. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah, you can but- do that and you can just pick it up and, you know, give it a couple seconds to remember where it was. And then you can, uh, take out a few more, uh, mammoths in Skyrim or mm-hmm. whatever you're doing, and then just put it back down and you're done. And you can make something that is like Skyrim, which is normally a very big, heavy time commitment kind of a game. I mean, you can go in and just do a little bit of stuff, but usually there's a, a lot of load times, especially on console for, you know, Bethesda games. Mm-hmm. If you can turn that and make it a quick pick up, put down game, that, that is a pretty killer feature. Yeah, that would be huge. Cause then you don't have to worry about the whole idea of, I got to find a save point, save the game and then shut everything down. And then when you go to play it again, boot everything up again, like it could be a little bit more, cumbersome i think though people you know assuming i kind of assume that people will be a little more forgiving with 
the Switch than they would be with their tablet or uh, phone game, just simply because of the experience that they're getting out of it, right? Like when you mean with like load times, yeah, like, like so, boot yeah, up and exactly. startup times, yeah. yeah. So like if I if I'm hey Nick, let's go play Mario Kart. I'll come over to your place, right? Like doing that, saying that, and then when I get there, the boot up experience, like. I can imagine it being a little bit longer than, you know, just flipping on my phone and it just being there. Yeah. No, that that's true. That's true. Um, but still, if, if it pans out the way we're discussing, it would be a whole lot quicker and more seamless than, uh, you know, starting up the Wii U and getting Mario Kart 8 running. Right, right. You- yeah, I, there's a lot of stuff about it that is interesting. Like, I don't know the exact specs around it yeah they haven't released a lot of stuff and i was going to get to that in a in a minute here but as you bring it up uh there's a a couple of pretty significant questions about it with the hardware too uh the two main ones well i suppose three main ones that come to mind are uh is there a touch screen Uh we don't know is there a um a camera which could be important if it was you say there was a, a Nintendo Switch port of Pokemon Go mm. or something like that, uh, or any of these other, you know, AR-type games, which I think the Switch, I mean, that'd be crazy to have a con- a console system running AR games. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, what is its, I, I did not see, although I possibly I missed it, what its network capabilities are. Yeah, like, I, I imagine... Of those things, camera, I'm going to guess is going to be a no. Network capabilities, I imagine, are going to be pretty broad, right? Like, they're probably going to have Bluetooth connectivity and... Um, Wi-Fi. Actually, yeah, I, they, I don't know if it's going to end up having... Yeah, Wi-Fi, of course, but I don't know if it would end up having anything greater than that. I mean, it'd be, they're not going to set it up like a tablet where you can put wireless service on it. Yeah, or a uh, uh, GPS service. Right. It just, that's just. Which, which in turn though, that, that would mean that you could not have a port of Pokemon Go. Yeah. I wouldn't expect that that would be there anyway. Like Niantic yeah. doesn't have any experience developing for that. They just developed <laughs> over the phone. So Niantic is also probably very busy trying to keep Pokemon Go from melting down. Right. Exactly. They got their own problems. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe the Nintendo could say, Hey, Niantic, we want to release on. On the Switch, is that okay? Yeah, sure, here. Can we have source code so we can do the porting? Yeah, sure, here. <laughs> Shut up. Go away. We're busy. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I know you want to actually have a piece of the pie rather than the flat licensing deal. Here, go. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, speaking of which, the um, uh, when Pokemon Go came out, there was a huge spike on Nintendo stock, and then everyone realized that Nintendo doesn't own Niantic and don't have a direct piece of the pie, and the stock plummeted again. And the same sort of thing kind of happened here, where it got learned that uh, the NX was going to be unveiled officially, and Nintendo stock spiked, uh, what was it, like 4-plus percent, uh, increasing the company's value by over a billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then and then the reveal came and apparently some people or a lot of people I suppose did not think that this was revolutionary enough and it it went down 6%. Yeah, I mean stock analysts. Yeah, pretty. yeah, you I I in in the micro sense you don't want to read too much into it because it's uh 
especially in the current market, you're susceptible to, to flash booms and flash crashes and, and really fast adjustments that aren't based on enough like this. But it's it's still kind of funny to note. Yeah, I I hope that, like like I said, it's just one of those things that I continue to hope that uh, Nintendo pushes and does well because they're a unique player in the market and it's a, they they make freaking great games and oh, yeah. it would suck if they ended up going the way of Sega, right? Like where it's just kind of like, oh, we're going to start making consoles and then oh, well now our games aren't being that great, like blah 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 blah, like great. Well, I, I d- <laughs> wherever Shigeru Miyamoto is involved, you're going to have something interesting. That's my take on that one. Uh, so even, even if they have to completely separate themselves from hardware at some point in the future, as long as Shigeru Miyamoto is with them, or if Shigeru Miyamoto is making games in general, uh, he's going to be producing something interesting. And since he is the, uh, what is it? Like game design fellow at Nintendo or whatever that position was called, you know, he, he's, he, his fingerprint is going to be on everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was, uh, Another thing that struck me about this sort of evolution of Nintendo and their hardware, their uh, their hardware in general is, I'm still kind of of the opinion that Nintendo is essentially the father of current mobile gaming because the you know there were a number of devices with touch screens that had games on them, but they were all pretty lame. And the DS was really the first video game hardware of any kind that showed that, yes, you can interface with a touchscreen. Or, uh, I, I can never remember the name of it, but there was a Kirby game on it where you ex- you exclusively controlled with a stylus on the touchscreen. Yeah. And it just showed that, yes, this is a viable form of control interface. And if it hadn't been for Nintendo developing that, I mean, eventually the uh, development would have happened. But Nintendo, in this case, were the innovators and the one that showed that, yes, you can make this work. You can make it profitable, which really opened up mobile devices in general a lot. Yeah, I mean, there, I mean there, and there were plenty of games on on old feature phones with physical buttons and stuff, but they were they were not what mobile games are now. They were not the same sort of. Uh, uh, intuitive interface, you might say. Uh, the differences in the button interfaces made it difficult, uh, to support everything all at the same time. And now everything is, again, ubiquitous is the word that you have to use for describing the mobile, uh, hardware space. Yeah. They definitely pioneered a lot of stuff in the mobile. I mean, not just mobile. I don't know if they, it's, it's kind of a stretch in my opinion to say that, but uh, for sure with their handheld, they just dominated the handheld world. It's like clearly yeah. for a long time and they had to have some influence. I'd like to think on the mobile market. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, but, I, yeah. Like I, hopefully that experience translates yeah. to, to the switch, right? Like to, Hey, now you can take this thing on the go mm-hmm. and like, well, we know what people want when they got want things on the go and <laughs> Well, that's one of the kind of funny things, too, is is as I'm saying that, and the Wii sort of also showed the power of the, uh, you know, wide audience, casual user kind of market, uh, then the Wii U 
seemed to be an attempt to kind of bring everything that they'd had their hands in previously together. And it, because the mobile market had kind of taken the Wii's casual audience and, and, you know, gone away with it, the Wii U couldn't bridge that gap so well. And compounded with other things like the name was a little bit confusing to the casual audience who didn't inherently understand the difference between hardware generations. Hmm. Um, I'm sure many of them, if you explained it to them, would, would understand just fine. It's just, you know, if your only understanding of a video game console was Nintendo Entertainment System in the 80s, oh, here's this Wii thing, and then there's another Wii thing. Well, it's another Wii thing. Okay, do I need another one or something now? Uh, (laughs) That's probably what they should have ended up calling it. Another Wii thing. (laughs) (laughs) You pulled out that Wii thing again. Oh, no. Uh, (laughs) That uh, didn't even sound right in my head when I thought it. Uh, (laughs) um, But, yeah, so the Switch, again, to me, seems almost, almost... Like they're trying to appeal to core gamers again. Almost like the unorthodox thing for Nintendo at this point is to be a little bit more orthodox in their marketing. Yeah, I mean, for sure they are. Like like we said, that core market's going to be big to making it successful. And and interestingly enough, at the same time, I mean, if they're, if they're trying to market to 20, 30-somethings, guess who those people are? The people who got brought up on the Nintendo, on the Super Nintendo, and 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 so forth, you know. Actually, those those people are uh, beyond that age. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but millennials were not grown up on those consoles. <laughs> or okay, GameCube, Wii, you know, Nintendo 64. The the people who got brought up on Nintendo consoles in the past. Yeah, yeah. Back and now have different there. demands on their time. Yeah. Um. And so, you know, if if they can say, I, I know, you know, you have fond memories of Nintendo and, and Zelda, and there's been a whole lot of stuff that's gone on in between them, and you didn't have the time or energy or resources to buy a, a, a Wii to play Mario Galaxy because, you know, you didn't want to invest the time. We understand that. Here's something that makes it more approachable. That, that's kind of I'm how I see this going. I'm interested to see, like, did, they haven't announced price point yet, have they? No, and that's going to be a very, very important one. Uh, one analyst said if the price point was like $399, that would break this the, the console's neck. Totally, yeah. I, I think that uh, $350 would be pushing it really, really far. I think for this, you'd probably want $250 to $300 tops. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Um, because you want it to, I mean, I'm sure they needed to pump some decent hardware into this. So that's not going to be a trivial expense. Yep. Uh, and Nintendo's always taken the tack of making a profit when they sell their hardware, as opposed to many other consoles that their hardware is sold at a loss so they can make the money up making licensing fees when games are released on it. Yep. Yeah. I, I don't know. If they'll, what tack they'll take. Yeah. Uh And who knows? Maybe this will even be a completely new leaf and they'll, they'll release it at say $200 and take a loss on the console, figuring that they've got enough third party support. And if they put enough effort into nurturing that third party support, maybe making things like their submission and lot check process a little less 
incomprehensible. <laughs> That'd be nice. That's um, not going to happen. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Man, uh, I, I don't know, though. Like, I'm just thinking about it now. Like, I'm just thinking, even if it's, it's 250 to $300, I already have an Xbox. I already have a PlayStation. You know, I've I, or I already have a PC. Do I really want to get a Nintendo Switch? They're going to have to really have... It's going to be entirely based on the games, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. it, always, it that, always has been, but... Yeah, and that's one thing that's that's always going to be the unique selling point for a Nintendo system, because between Xbox and PlayStation, you know, what's what, what are the really big differences? Like, do, do, do you prefer the operating system? Do you prefer the Move <laughs> versus the Kinect? Uh, do you prefer the controller with the symmetrical analog sticks versus the asymmetrical analog sticks. I mean, personally, I prefer the PlayStation's D-pad. I mean, you know, what 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 is your little thing? With Nintendo, yeah. on the other hand, you've got a much bolder difference, and yeah. that's first-party Nintendo titles. Yep. And, and I mean, those can be extent, console sellers. To, to a certain extent, also, controller style and interface styles. And like like this thing now, it's completely different interface with the I'm going to grab my console and take it on the train thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely... Oh, man, it's going to be interesting to see how this really plays out. Yeah, yeah. Um, One of the the other things that strikes me is, and this is going to be dependent on exactly what the other hardware specs are for it. Like, does it have NFC, near-field communication, or... um, uh, you know, if you have that pro controller that do- it's the separate solid controller that doesn't have the slide on things that attach to the tablet thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, can you connect more controllers to the tablet element of the machine? Uh, yeah, I think they, I think they announced that you, yeah. you can, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I know yeah. that they said you can have at least four of like the little slide off controllers, mm. but, um, I don't know about anything else beyond that. Um, and you know, there was in the, in the reveal trailer, there was two, um, switches, uh, like at a rooftop party or something where they were playing, uh, Mario Kart. Yeah. Uh, four player Mario Kart side by side with each other. Yeah. It's going to be like the same thing as the, you know, the Nintendo DS or any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just going to be local, yeah, uh, Bluetooth connection or something like that. Sure. And then the question is, how many of those can you sort of daisy chain together? Yeah, I hope it's... Well, they also had, like, one shot of, like, eight people all around together, too. So I am hoping that that means that you can just get a massive bunch. Like, Because yeah. it'd be really cool. You could think of the cool social things that could happen around that. Right. And if, and that, if, yeah. if anybody was going to make some sort of social party thing happen it would totally be a nintendo thing i'm just trying to think like oh imagine uh jumping in that open world zelda game and just having it like a open world zelda party everybody bring their switch over and all 12 of us will be playing at the same time you know on our own little screens it's just it's freaking cool it's a good idea yeah it'd be like uh those um uh legend of zelda four swords kinds of games yeah, exactly. Except easier to set up because you don't need extra hardware and extra consoles. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you all still have your own screens. Something like that. Yeah. Well, it could be cool, man. It, it could you be know, cool. 
yeah, kind of thinking about it, just the, the accessibility and the portability of it could make this kind of like the ultimate party game system. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you can't really do a party... That's, that's another one of the problems with uh, mobile and tablet games is that it's really difficult. It's not impossible, but it's difficult to have single device or, like, single processor type multiplayer games. You have to have, like, pass and play or each holds on to one end. But with something like this, if you had a, li- a couple more little controller pieces, and, the you know, the controllers are pretty little. They're, like, the size of a Game Boy Micro, mm-hmm. it looks like. Uh, which, for those of you who don't remember, was pretty small. And when they were advertised, they were advertised like pendants you could put on a necklace. <laughs> a big pendant for a necklace, but still, you know, not not very big. Like, They're just small enough to be losable. <laughs> <laughs> like, how many people are going to end up losing their Switch controllers? Everybody. <laughs> uh, that would suck. That's what's going to happen. People are going to lose them. Guarantee you. Well, Guarantee. That, and that, that kind of brings up another question is, you know, how, how much do, do the, will the peripherals cost? Like a replacement c- controller or an additional controller? They're yeah. probably going to be less expensive than, you know, the current PS4, Xbox One controllers because they're so oh, much less yeah. complex. Yeah, they'll be a lot cheaper than that. But then again, the, the other big hardware question is what's the battery life going to be like? Yep, uh, that's in my opinion is the just as important as the price point. If because if the battery life isn't really good, nobody's going to use it. Yeah, because you're going to have to be tethered to a charger the whole time. Yeah, that'd be kind of lame. I would think that's not very mobile. <laughs> <laughs> it says mobile is a virtual boy. Oh. <laughs> Hey, I did not hate the Virtual Boy. I think that's been proven at this point with the PlayStation VR and Oculus and stuff as an idea that was just way too far ahead of its time. Yeah. I mean, I think there were probably other problems with it, too. Oh, certainly. <laughs> it's like it was it was ahead of its time to the point where you, know, you couldn't make it a comfortable experience. Yeah. Stick your head in this thing. <laughs> oh, my. Speaking of Nintendo's innovations... Uh, um yeah so i think wow i i i can't remember the list of uh games that were released that were announced off the top of my head hold on let me see if uh if i can find that really quick here um dave share some more thoughts to buy me some time let's see nintendo switch well my my favorite part of the (laughs) I don't know. People who listen to this may or may not have seen the reveal video. Uh, if you haven't, I recommend go watching it. Um, my favorite part of the reveal video is when uh, there's uh, four people all together and they're playing basketball and then they stop playing basketball and then they get on the <laughs> Nintendo Switch and they play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> like they, they do two on two v two with two switches and you know one's facing one way and one's facing the other way and they sit on each side facing each other and uh i thought like that was the the first point when i thought to myself oh hey this could be cool (laughs) like i was really the other thing was also just the marketing in general and i was kind of surprised at how they were targeting the the younger audience of Mm -hmm. i mean the young adult audience but not anybody else right like yeah they didn't they didn't put it in and like 
they were clearly aware, hey, we want to make sure that this is advertised as not a kid's console. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Which, in turn, is a surprising um, sort of departure for Nintendo, because usually everyone thinks of, oh, Nintendo, the, the sort of stigma about it is, is this is the kiddie console. It has, you know, little child-friendly games on it, but you're not going to get a Skyrim yeah, totally. I, I, that's always been their stigma. But then yeah. again, it's kind of a stigma that games in general has been fighting, right? Like, yeah. just for kids. And yeah, clearly, but, but, uh, we, clearly, we're at the point now where that's not the case. Yeah, so, Sony and uh, Microsoft have had the advantage of sort of setting their own expectations. They had a reset to kind of break some of that. So they have, you know, your, your Call of Duties and... Um, I don't know. Uh, other stuff that is not coming to mind right now. Um, uh, other more mature horror, survival horror type games. Your uh, Silent Hills and other stuff that oh, doesn't yeah. necessarily feel at home on the same console with Super Mario. Um, yeah. Uh, I, uh, one one of the speaking of like the the guys were playing basketball before playing video basketball uh, a similar thing from the reveal that struck me was the people in the van playing Mario Kart on their way <laughs> to go-karting <laughs> yeah. how, how many different cars are in this 10 second sequence Jesus yo dog we heard you like Mario Karting so we put a Mario Kart in your go-kart so you could <laughs> Mario Kart while you go-kart yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, I've got the confirmed uh, games here. Uh, a 3D Mario game with no name yet. A Mario Kart... I'm going to guess a lot of these really don't have official names yet. A Mario Kart game. A Splatoon. Possibly a sequel. We're not sure, but you definitely saw the Squid Kids. Uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Pikmin 4. Project Sonic 2017. Elder Scrolls Skyrim. An unnamed basketball NBA game. Uh, Dragon Quest X, possibly Dragon Quest XI, Just Dance 2017, and I, I suppose someone extrapolated from the reveal video, an unnamed image and form project. So that's what we've got at least so far. So definitely, I would say Skyrim is the big big standout from that, of the, the thing that does not match the others. How could they have... I mean, how could they have launch titles that are unnamed as of yet i feel like it, unnamed in the sense of uh they haven't been announced why I, I feel like they should be announcing those things already it's well i th- this this reveal was pretty late for a console because uh, it releases in march and that's just what uh five months away yeah i so that's an interesting point of conversation i'm actually super happy that they did that they did it this way right like there's no two year build up for people to start hemming and hawing and nagging it to death and saying it's not this, it's not that, it's not this, it's not that. It's just like, hey guys, in a couple of months we're going to be throwing this thing out there and you generate the buzz that you're going to get initially and you don't have to worry about anything beyond that. Mm. I mean, it's, it's a smart play and really it's probably a, a much better play for Nintendo. With Sony or Microsoft, assuming Microsoft stays in the console game, I can't imagine that they would say, take this, the same strategy for their for for their marketing, just because um, it's 
they're they're more jugger like they're more the juggernauts so they they want to kind of build this massive momentum to pull, push them along the way mm. but um who knows maybe it'll be a change in the way you see these things develop in general like for for reveals i i don't know like uh, games too like maybe you won't see games you know years in advance i i can't imagine that would be harmful to have a shorter <laughs> marketing cycle for a lot of the games that are out there. I mean, there's so many games that to say, hey, we're going to be releasing on X date in two years from now, <laughs> it has to hurt game development, right? Like, okay, well. well yeah, especially if uh, you start running into problems and you have to push the date back. Exactly, right? Like, everybody just says, oh, terrible. Like, this game is late and. You've screwed us again. Heck, you know, I'm not going to get this game. Like, they don't have to deal with any of that headache. Now it's just, hey, boom. Coming out in a couple of months, guys. Hope you will like it. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, again, is one of the notes that I saw uh, people making. But I think the um, uh, Nintendo is trying to learn lessons from the problems that the Wii U has had. Yeah. Um, they're trying to make sure that, you know, one, the name is unique. Two, like in the reveal, they, they repeat that little animation of the, the little Switch logo clicking into place. Uh huh. You know, trying to, to, you know, drive home the idea of, of what the hardware is. Clearly, we're in an era right now where if you're going to sell hardware, you have to put the hardware front and center. Again, unlike the Wii, where it was about the experience. Everyone has access to that experience. You can't sell that experience as a unique thing anymore. You have to put the hardware front and center. So that's what they did. And there was a lot of showing what this hardware offers you, which is, again, why I'm kind of fixated on the accessibility of it. Mm -hmm. um, they were also um, trying to – I think that not mentioning um, touchscreen – it may have a touchscreen, but they don't want to have it be con like how the Wii and the Wii U got confused. This, the, the Nintendo Switch is powered by a lot of Nvidia stuff. You know, uh, uh, it's basically like a pumped up version of the Nvidia Shield. Hmm. Um, and I think they want to try to make sure that it is not confused as a tablet with a built-in controller yeah it's a good call so they're going to do everything they can to highlight the differences between this and a high-end tablet or a gaming tablet you know yeah yep it's like hey guys we're a console you can take with you not a tablet that you stick into your tv yeah <laughs> <laughs> Which, oddly enough, is exactly what the NVIDIA Shield was. A tablet you could stick into your TV, you get like a third-party controller, and there you go. <laughs> it's it's like a, 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 a crummy console experience that's been blown up. No, the Nintendo Switch is supposed to be a console experience that has had the bulk shaved away so you can take it with you. Mm -hmm. Just hope they didn't shave too much. Yep, uh, that's that was exactly one of the lines. Well... Exactly one of the sentiments from uh, uh, someone, I, I don't have the name in front of me to reference it, maybe I should take notes for this show, <laughs> <laughs> but um, saying that uh, if 
if the system is reasonably powerful and inexpensive, it will do well. If it is underpowered and expensive, it will die. Yeah, totally. Um, actually, another sort of thought here is perhaps the, again, going back to the blue water topic, Nintendo likes to try to innovate, disrupt, and look for the blue water. Mm-hmm. Now, here, if it's trying to, say, merge the console and handheld markets, is that blue water? You know, you go to the Venn diagram, is this something that will actually attract both sides rather than limiting itself to the overlap? Maybe, maybe not. But what it may also be doing is saying that, hey, you know, if you want big, vast, sprawling, AAA, high-fidelity experiences, you got the PlayStation, you got the Xbox, you got your PC. If you want a very small, bite-sized thing, you know, you got your mobile. But if you want something that's on the go and with you, but more than mobile, something that's more interesting and as a game maybe takes more risks than your big triple a stuff you know your triple i indie games uh that might be a good home for them did you just coin a term no i've heard other people use the term triple i triple i huh (laughs) i would be very proud if i had originated that but no that that does not come from me i was just about to say you are a smart mother trucker (laughs) Uh, I can't be that smart. I didn't steal credit for it. <laughs> Triple I. Um, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, and again, I think that's something that could appeal to this sort of young professional audience where, you know, that's that's the kind of thing where you might start losing interest in your annual release of Call of Duty. I hate to harp on Call of Duty. It's just really easy to use it as an example. Uh, and they I think, want... I just think you like to say the word duty. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, hero's duty. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, these these are the kind of people who might be less interested in those annual iterative releases and want a home, a uniform home for something a little bit different. You know, yeah. kind of like what people tried to turn the PS Vita into, but at that point, Sony wasn't very interested in putting that much support in the platform. Yeah, I mean, that's because they had to compete with Nintendo, right? Like, <laughs> at a much cheaper price point and an already firm market hold, and they just couldn't get in there. Yeah, I mean, if if nothing, I mean, the, the portable market may not be exactly what it was since it has overlap with the mobile market. But the portable market, for what it's ever been, Nintendo has always had a white-knuckled death grip on that since the Game Boy was released in the 80s. I mean, even now, they still have a really big market. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you're going to start seeing, like, at what point where the Switch gets to be successful, you know, just thinking in a, a alternate dimension future where the Switch is very successful, at what point do mobile developers, developers start trying to take a shot at taking their games and putting it on the Switch. Hey, and the Switch supports Unity. Oh, no kidding. Really? Yep. Unity is huh. one of those uh, third-party uh, supporters. That's that's big time. Yeah. That's a, that's, a, that's a bold move. They could attract a lot of mobile developers. I mean, it'd be really cool if I could 
seamlessly, you know, take my touch experience on the phone and, you know, just do the, have the same experience on the switch with the controllers or, I mean, the controllers are really a big separator. The fact that you have a controller for the switch is huge as opposed to just the thing with a touchscreen. Yeah. And that, that's also something that there are controllers out there for mobile platforms, but they're all third party and a lot of third party controllers yeah. are kind of shoddy and, you know, it's not really built to go with, with the mobile platform and, and, you know, there's so many different mobile platforms that, you know, your experience is going to vary, you know, and, if you got one and, and it works good for you, great. I'm just saying that it's not going to work for everybody. And the games, right? Like yeah. Nobody develops a game for a third-party controller on mobile. Why would you? It's I've just... actually seen one where they intended to have some crazy controller supported, but nothing ever came of it. So Of course, because like, <laughs> nobody, nobody wants to buy a controller for their, for their mobile device unless yeah. it's like an accessory that works with the, with the touchscreen, right? Like, yeah. yeah, I've seen those, like, the attachable thumbsticks that you mm-hmm. can put on like a tablet. Like I've seen that and you know, okay, well that works with an already in, built in touch system and makes it better. But to develop an actual game that has to have a controller, well, you're screwed. Forget yeah. it. Nobody's going to buy that. Yeah. The, the only way you could do that is ironically enough, the in Nvidia shield, not the tablet. There's this thing that looks like a video game controller and there's a screen that flips up on it. So, yeah. like, it is a controller, so, I mean, your controller will work there, but still, almost no one's going to be developing to take advantage of that, because that device itself is going to have such a small market share that you're not going to make any more money by actually supporting that. Yeah, I think I've seen cases that are like that, too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you plug in your uh, Android into a case that looks like a controller, Yeah, and it's got, like, a D-pad and a thumbstick. Mm-hmm. And and this, again, goes back to the portability and accessibility of the Switch, where, you know, the, the those little uh, Joypad controllers or whatever they called. I Joy-Con. Remember. Joy-Con. Oh, God. <laughs> I do wish the, the names were better. That I killed me when I heard Joy-Con. I was just like, I lost it. Uh, I, I, I don't like it when something ends with con because it makes me think of like the gun con or, you know, it's it it game com, which was just stupid. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I know what they're doing, like it's joy controller or something, yeah. like that, but I just thought of con like, you know, the long con and <laughs> it's like there's no joy here. It's just a joy con. <laughs> <laughs> Unintended implications, I'm sure. Yeah. Like, I lost my (laughs) Joy-Con. It was a (laughs) Joy-Con. So, okay. Uh, One thing I have here, since we've kind of mentioned some of this, uh, is a list of the confirmed development partners, which is, if you've seen that sort of banner with a bunch of logos on it, that does not cover everybody. Uh, the list here includes uh, 505 Games, Level 5 Inc., Activision, Marvelous Inc., Arc System Works, Maximum Games, Atlas, Nipponichi Software, Audio Kinetic Inc. Hey, look at that. Uh, Party Bit, Autodesk. <laughs> pla- <laughs> how, did they spell, how do they spell it? Kinetic. Uh, uh, actual Kinetic, not, not okay. the way I spell it. Um, Platinum Games, 
Bandai Namco Entertainment, uh, Rad Game Tools, Bethesda, uh, Rico Choku, Capcom, Sega, Codemasters, Silicon Studio Corporation, Cry Middleware, Spike Chunsoft, DNA, uh, Square Enix, Electronic Arts, Starbreeze, Epic Games, Take-Two Interactive, Firelight Technologies, Telltale Games, From Software. Ooh, are we going to get a uh, uh, Souls game on there? That'd be neat. Wow. Uh, well, I, well it, then the question for that is, you know, the whole uh, network connectivity is going to be an issue, depending <laughs> on how they do it. Uh, THQ Nordic, uh, Frozen Bite, Tokyo RPG Factory, uh, almost <laughs> Tokyo RPG Factory, Old Spaghetti Factory, anything? No. <laughs> uh, Game Trust, TT Games, Grasshopper Manufacture. Ubisoft, Gung Ho Online Entertainment, which means we're probably going to be getting a uh, uh, Puzzle and Dragon. Uh, Ubitus, Hamster Corporation, Unity Technologies, Havoc, Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment, uh, Inti Creatures, Web Technology, Koei Tecmo, Konami, and uh, uh, Image in Form. Yeah. That's that's an impressive roster. There's a lot of big names on there. Yeah, and uh, one would have to presume that all of these confirmed development partners have their dev kits already, because I, I know there so. was a uh, uh, dev kits got released a long time ago under very very strict non disclosure agreements. Um, but uh, a lot of smaller developers have said that they would be interested in developing for the Switch. So. If on the business side, if Nintendo's uh, agreements are not too, I don't know, restrictive, limiting, don't cut too deep, um, there is a pretty big opportunity here to sweep up a lot of third-party support. Mm-hmm. Because I think I, yeah, actually, the more I think about it, the more I think this makes sense because there's been a growing divide between the again wide audience ubiquitous mobile which you can do a lot of stuff but it's always going to be limited versus the big heavy console stuff consoles and and high-end pc stuff work great on those big heavy things like a skyrim but uh aren't exactly great for smaller things and as these two the mobile and the console high-end pc grow farther and farther and farther apart a middle ground is opening up that's what i'm seeing here and that's what i think the switch is positioning itself to take advantage of uh like you were saying you know mobile developers with unity might be interested in trying to take advantage of uh, a more powerful prestigious yeah. uh better profit margin platform yeah you might look at it as you got a successful free-to-play developer quote graduating unquote to a actual paid maybe even boxed product flipping that on uh, the other way uh, oh, oh oh i'm sorry i'm sorry what if you have a mobile developer Th- this is designed and this is pure speculation on my part. Let's just say that this is designed to appeal to mobile developers that want to get into boxed products. Mobile developers, the mobile development field has like no experience, no 
notion of a lot of the stuff that goes into creating a boxed product. Who is the most natural place for them to go for publishing support? Nintendo. And Nintendo can get a better revenue share by providing those services to these developers if they need that assistance. It's interesting. <laughs> like, now that I'm thinking about it a little more po- posed that way, um, like, the barriers to entry to development on a console for a mobile developer are actually fairly large, right? Like, just going through the the certification, you know, system for Nintendo as a console developer is hard enough. Imagine if you're a mobile developer never done it before. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, it's, it's developing on a brand new platform. It's risky, but if, if the potential for monetization is good enough, of course anybody will do it. Yeah. But well, and that, that, that goes back to exactly what's the nature of their, uh, agreements for developers with respect to the switch. I mean, right. they've clearly been trying to pivot their business. They've opened up to mobile there. There's been talk about them considering a movie of yeah. some, some of their property. I mean, they had a, the Mario movie left a really bad taste in their mouths. Um, or, you know, licensing Mario to theme parks and, and things of that nature. So clearly, uh, uh, President Kimishima is interested in trying to shake up some of these old habits that Nintendo has and, yep. you know, clearing up that, uh, partnership and application and, uh, uh, certification process. It seems reasonable that it might be another one of those points to shake things up. Uh, I would hope so. I mean, yeah, to, to your point also, Pokemon, the whole Pokemon Go, hey, we're going to license this out to a completely third-party developer and they can make a game for it. That's pretty freaking brand new. Nobody's ever done that before, or with Nintendo, so... Um, well, yeah. I mean, that was that was... That one was a little bit different because it was the Pokemon Company, which is owned by Nintendo and other people. So while Pokemon is very heavily identified with Nintendo... It's not strictly a Nintendo property, so that whole financial structure gets a bit sh- like murky and more complicated. So the the, I, the thing that I'm interested in is the flip side of that argument that you just made. Instead of pulling developers from the independent mobile side and trying to get them to the Switch, I'm interested to see how they pull the bigger name markets like Electronic Arts and Bethesda and like all of these bigger console driven um, developers and how they work on the switch. Because, you know, when it comes to developing your game, I remember back when it was always, you develop for Xbox and PlayStation primarily. And then to port to the Nintendo console of the time was always a huge pain just because it was a completely different code base, completely different, you know, system and didn't have the similarities that have processing power or anything that, um, the PlayStation and Xbox did. So if, if, if like, if it's possible to say, Hey, NBA, uh, EA is making an NBA game, which I think, yeah, they do they have the license on that now. I think they do. Right. Uh, I don't know. 
No, the 2K Sports guy still has NBA. Anyway, regardless, if, uh, you know, Skyrim, let's just take that since we know it's already going to be put on, on, um, the Switch. But like, say the next version of Skyrim that comes out, if it can run on all three, uh, and with parity, then you can see that development process being a process of, hey, let's make this game and let's port it to these consoles as opposed to, Hey, let's make it this game and port it to the Sony and Microsoft consoles. And then Nintendo, we basically have to make a completely different game for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if, if they can pull that in, then they're really starting to bolster their, uh, their, uh, cadre with developers of more console games. Uh, that's true. Uh, so w- another way you could point that to is, uh, 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 the excess. What we hope, like, it appears that it's presenting itself to be accessible to the end players, and we're hoping that it will also be accessible to developers. Yep. Uh, God, I hope so. <laughs> like Steve Ballmer said, developers, 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 developers. Developers, developers, developers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the main thing i think of when i think of steve Ballmer is him jumping up and down around on the stage you can't see me right now but i'm actually doing that <laughs> <laughs> you you have tremendous uh, uh wind control if you're jumping around and speaking so uh, calmly and plainly yeah, i'm also very quiet with my jumping <laughs> now i'm imagining your head is actually perfectly still and your body is jumping around around <laughs> like like uh like uh if you've seen when um uh, people are holding like a chicken and moving its body around and its head doesn't move. Yeah. <laughs> oh my. Okay. Um, hmm. We covered a lot of stuff here. Uh, I'm trying to remember if there's anything else that I wanted to hit on. Uh, any other thoughts you have about it? Um, what color does it going to come in? Well, it appears to be black and there's been a lot of, uh, uh, speculation about, Will, or like mock-ups of this in in additional different colors. I'm sure they'll do a bit. Oh yeah, Nintendo. Colors. Nintendo always has alternate colors. Yeah, they were the first ones to do that with the uh, uh, Nintendo 64, I think. Uh, yeah, I um, guess so. Yeah, PlayStation was always just gray. Microsoft <laughs> was just its color. Yeah, the, I think uh, kind of you know for. In summary, you know, it, it's, of course, going to be really interesting to see what happens next, and it's hard to predict. I think one of the things that uh, kind of concerns me the most about it is just how ergonomically, you know, pleasant will these Joy-Con controllers be, mm. uh, because they are kind of a throwback to, you know, well, I suppose not, not so much. They're more like... Really small Wiimote controllers. Yeah. So just like if you have something that relatively insubstantial in your hand, is there any problem of it slipping? Is it going to be too small for my hands and I'm going to cramp up? Well, uh, I mean, it's that's the wave of the future, right? Like with all the all of the VR stuff that's coming out, those are the type of controllers you're going to get. Yeah, and I, I'm also wondering is if you use the Joy-Con controllers just as individual controllers, you know, you hand one to the other guy and, and they have a controller and you have a controller, uh, are the shoulder buttons going to be involved? Because it looks like it supports shoulder buttons normally, but they're going to be on different 
ends of the thing, or is, is there one on each side so each player would have two shoulder controllers? I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to. That's another thing we'll have to figure out. Um, WarioWare. I want WarioWare on that thing. <laughs> I uh, yeah, that's another party game right there. Exactly. Ultimate party game platform. You just like grab it, chuck it in your bag, and bring it to the bar or whatever the hell. Yeah, everybody get your Switch <laughs> and let's play WarioWare. And I could see like all kinds of like hot potato style things they could do with that. Ah, uh, yeah. Um. Yeah, we're also going to have to see what Nintendo... This thing has to have some form of online support. It has to have some form of um, virtual market. You know, it it can't be only the little cartridge things that come with it. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they have a virtual store. And then the question is, you know, how pleasant of an experience is their store going to be? Or, or their other online interactions. Never been exactly Nintendo's calling card there of a smooth online experience. Although it's kind of weird because Nintendo was the first one to adopt Wi-Fi connectivity with the, with the Wii. They just didn't even bother giving it a physical connection. One of the few, for the time, very oddly forward-looking decisions that they made. That's... That's a conversation for a whole nother. I could go on for days about how much I hate that way we're going wireless, but you know. <laughs> okay. Um, you wanna you wanna put any uh, predictions for how many this is gonna sell? You know, a prediction based on the almost no information we have. So I'm totally gonna hold you to this. Um, in what time frame? You mean at, at launch? Uh, let's say worldwide or U.S. Worldwide, one year. Oh shit! Okay, worldwide, one year. All right. For some comparison, I believe right now we use lifetime sales are thirteen million and is widely considered to be a flop uh, by that number, and rightly or wrongly, that's what it's considered. And uh, I believe, say PS4. I could be wrong about this, but I think it's approaching 50 million now. I'm going to say 1 million. 1 million in a year. 1 million in a year. Huh. I was going to say 15 and 15 million in a year. There there's no I don't I I can't imagine that's going to happen. <laughs> Although it, the Japanese market alone could carry that. Maybe. I don't know. I <laughs> Well, if uh, if we're playing by prices right rules, you're almost certainly going to win. Exactly. I'm always <laughs> playing by prices right rules. <laughs> I say one unit. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's also just going to be interesting to see sort of the return of cartridge a uh, cartridge based console ish thing yeah well they're not exactly cartridges anymore they're more like you know sd cards or flash drive type memory yeah that's another thing you're just gonna lose (laughs) (laughs) hopefully not but we'll see okay um and now let's uh let's call it that for our discussion for the nintendo switch for the moment 
And uh, at the closing segment here, let's uh, do the war stories. Uh, Dave, as the guest, do you have any interesting war stories from your time in the industry you'd like to share? Man, I always get... I know this is coming. <laughs> prepare for it. <laughs> um, let's see. Mm, trying to think if there are any good bugs I can remember. <laughs> hey, I was trying to, this isn't really a war story and it's probably not going to be very interesting to anybody listening to this, but what was the name of that fighting game that was on mobile that we used to? Oh, oh, I know what you're talking about. That stick fighter thing. Yeah, we used to, we used to, like, always <laughs> wonder. It's like, how is this a, a, on top of the fold again? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. That was, um, way back when on feature phones, when we were working together on those, uh, was that on top in the market or did it just somehow get installed on, like, it was a pre-install on one of the devices? I, I was always just flabbergasted because it was, it was this, fighting game it did you know which felt weird on a on a a candy bar phone right playing with you know before touch screens or anything you're just playing with the number pad yeah and like it was some weird indie developer that i'd never heard of and apparently that was the game they made they must have had an amazing sales department because they were always embedded in devices and on the top of the fold i just never could understand how they were always they, they just had the one game right and yeah. like they never developed anything after that and despite the fact that maybe even though that they were on all these devices and were you know on the top of the fold they still weren't making any money i guess <laughs> that's why they never developed anything else after it i don't know um, i don't know uh yeah um i i remember that game i remember how it worked because it was like you were always it was something like you were always on the left Mm-hmm. And so you had your number pad one two three four five six seven eight nine, uh one four and uh seven were blocking high medium and low respectively. Uh-huh. Two five and eight were punching high medium and low respectively, and right. uh three six and nine were kicking high medium and low respectively, and it was just you as a stick figure against another stick figure. Mm-hmm trying to fight and um the backgrounds were actually kind of decent for the time if i remember the, the, this sort of pseudo 3d effect yep yep um almost like a a, a mode seven ish kind of ground anyhow um one of the things you know we we played it a bit on a couple of the devices that it wound up on and um uh you know we we were able to beat like the first one or two, and then the difficulty ramped up pretty fast. I think, if I was, memory serves. It's still just like it was a pretty good, like easy touchpad design. It was uh-huh. kind of cool. Yeah, it 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 played okay. But one of the weird things is we had it on. I remember specifically we had it on like the AudioVox eighty nine hundred and the Nokia thirty five eighty nine i. And those are numbers that will, and names that won't really mean much of anything to anybody except for maybe Nokia, maybe. Uh, <laughs> these were never exactly powerhouse machines. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, the AudioVox 8900 was, 
maybe when it came out might have been you know around the uh the bottom of the top third of uh devices and the mm-hmm. Nokia 3589i was you know your cheap Nokia the funny thing about those was when they both ran the game the Nokia ran so much smoother than the AudioVox and one of the reasons why is actually because this was back when uh you could have devices that their screens may only be say 95 pixels wide or something like that. And the Nokia's screen was maybe less than half the size of the AudioVox's screen, so it actually had to calculate and compute much less visual data. It did not have to work as hard to support the screen. So it, it was actually a much more pleasant and smooth experience on the less powerful device. <laughs> God, just thinking about those mobile phone days. It's crazy. <laughs> I was telling somebody, you know, that I was working on these phones. I've been, you know, developing in mobile since two for almost ten years now. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> well, uh, let's see. You were there when I first started working in mobile, and that was a, a little over twelve years ago now. Yeah, I remember because I started in mobile in two thousand and. I can't remember if it was 2004, 2005, so been quite a while. <laughs> that's a, that's my war story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, just speaking of old mobile games, I, I've got something to add on to that, which is uh, kind of an example of how innovation can really, really produce just fascinating things. Uh, because I saw a game on mobile in 2005 when did the Wii come out hold on i got to double check this quick make noises buy me some time was the game no it was not <laughs> i figured that name alone would buy you enough time to figure out what you were trying to figure out <laughs> um <laughs> Okay, yeah, the Wii was released in 2006. So, yeah, you kind of did. Um, <laughs> Thanks, baseball. <laughs> the, uh, this game that I saw was probably from 2004 or 2005. It was on mobile, and it was uh, on a feature phone, and it was basically, if anyone out there has played the board game Labyrinth, where you have a, a little wooden board, that has walls on it and pits, like little holes in it, and you have two knobs that'll uh, sort of tilt the board on its axis, and you try to get a a um, oh, sort of like yeah. a pinball or a big ball bearing from one end of the maze to another without it dropping through the hole. It was kind of like a video game version of that. Um, and it wasn't a case of you hit buttons to make it tilt the screen what it did was you actually tilted the phone to tilt the arena to tilt the platform or or uh, a stage or whatever you're on this was on a device that had no accelerometer and was before the motion controller on the wii how did they do that the camera oh smarties yeah cool huh uh, I, I realized it was the camera because at one point I had my finger over the camera and none of the controls were working. <laughs> but, 
This was back in the day before they like also asked permission to use the camera. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That was, this was definitely before that. You just, you had access to whatever the hell, uh, well, maybe on, Maybe on old brew things, you had to do something else with the, you, know, you had to meet standards if you were going to use the camera on a brew device, but yeah. uh, it didn't present anything to the user to ask if you could use the camera, or at yeah. least it didn't have to. Yeah, because of back in those days, like it didn't matter if if you asked or not, because there wasn't like they could do anything good with your camera anyway. It's not like they're <laughs> going to be able to download your pictures or you know take pictures with your phone randomly or stream anything <laughs> it's oh too man ancient that uh i i'll have another little chaser war story here the um there was one device that we had back then in those days it was the Nokia 7210 now back then this was also before most devices had bluetooth um some did but many didn't most didn't. So we had to have data plans on all our devices to be able to load builds from like something like a Dropbox. Dropbox wasn't around yet, but you know, like a network shared folder of some sort. The um the Nokia 7210 though would not work with any data connection. It did not have Bluetooth. There there was no way to to cable load onto it either. Like, there was just no way to get data onto it, except, and this is probably the only time anyone has ever heard of anyone using this feature, you could load it with infrared. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh we we had, like, an IR USB dongle uh-huh. that we hooked into a, a laptop or, or like one computer had an IR node on it. You held the IR receiver of the 7210 to this thing and waited like five or 10 minutes while it very slowly loaded the build you were going to test. Man, wild, wild west back in those days. Yep. Yep. As opposed to now when you will release games on Android without ever having tested it on that device because there's two, just too, too damn many of them. <laughs> yep. Back then, you actually had a defined list at least. Ah. All right then. Well, uh, thanks for joining me today, Dave. No problemo. It was fun. Yeah. Um, and, uh, if there's anybody out there who would like to see me write about anything in the Behind the Line article series or hear us talk about anything here on Behind the Line Radio, you can always reach out to me at kinetic at enthusiacs.com. That's K-Y-N-E-T-Y-K at enthusiacs.com. See y'all next time, everybody. Behind the Line Radio is presented by Enthusiacs.com. For more podcasts, Let's Plays, articles, videos, reviews, and more, visit us at Enthusiacs.com. Also, send us a comment on Twitter, at Enthusiacs. View us on YouTube, channel Enthusiacs, and like us on Facebook, Enthusiacs. Enthusiacs.